Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have returning champion Greg Braden, one of the most popular guests we've had on the show. And today, we're going to talk about a little bit about ancient civilizations, about some new discoveries that Google has discovered over Antarctica, some geology that is changing our planet, and so, so much more. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome back to the show, returning champion, Greg Braden. How you doing, Greg? Alex, it is so good to see you today. Once again, I'm uh, I'm coming to you from our, our studio just outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, some people think it looks like the command deck of the mothership. Uh, it does. <laughs> maybe, but I'm just going to call it our Santa Fe studio to, to keep me out of trouble here. So, <laughs> hey, I'm excited to be with you. This is completely unscripted. We don't know where we're going to go, and we always know it's a good yeah. conversation. So thank you for your trust Absolutely. and for inviting me back. Of course, my friend, our last uh, two conversations have been very popular, specifically our last one broke over 4.6 million views. So people seem to like when you and I have conversations, sir. So uh, that's why you were invited back consistently. And uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So my first question to you this time, sir, I wanted to just dabble. We've dabbled a little bit about it before, Antarctica and Mm. what is being found in Antarctica we we talked about that there are finding pyramid shape something's there we really don't know what's going on in your in your guesstimation or in your view what do you think could have been there in because antarctica has not always been an ice block sure. it was flourish sure. green and things so what do you think happened to antarctica what, like was it a pole shift why is it frozen now and what could have been there well those are three questions Three, three big questions. Uh, Antarctica is one of the, the last remaining continental mysteries in, in our world today. Uh, and it's fascinating because the truth is we really don't know as the general public and in, in open peer-reviewed literature. They're not talking about it very much. What we do know, Alex, is that with the oncoming of uh, climate change, as the ice has begun to melt, the satellites have begun to reveal uh, structures, complex architectural structures poking up through the ice. And these aren't primitive, you know, huts and uh, you know, hunting villages. These are are massive, complex structures. One, as an amateur archaeologist, when I was in the university, uh, I didn't follow through with an archaeological degree. I became a geologist, but the archaeology mm-hmm. was certainly part of that. And one of the first things I learned as I was going on the digs in college was that nature does not work in 90 degree angles. 
So you'll need mm-hmm. never you'll never see a river going one way and then do a 90 degree turn and you'll never see wind erode in a 90 degree turn fluvial and uh waters fluvial erosion and aeolian is is wind erosion that won't happen and the reason i say that is because when we're looking at the satellite images from antarctica what we see are these massive structures of uh of square rooms square buildings all 90 degree angles they are not uh, a fluke of nature and the reason this is a problem is because the ice age peaked about 20,000 years ago. Uh, and this implies one of two things. Either the structures were built in the ice during the ice age, which is pretty unlikely. You don't see people right. doing a lot of that. Or the structures existed before the ice was there. And the question is, we're taught that civilization began about 5,000 to 5,500 years ago in the Tigris, right. Euphrates valley uh mesopotamia samaria and all of that so the question is who is building these complex structures in antarctica uh, over twenty thousand years ago and we don't know the answer as a, as a scientist i have to say we don't there's a lot of speculation not my personal ideas uh, but we don't know the answer one of the reasons it's so exciting alex is because it is presumed that these structures are very intact. They have not been pillaged like a lot of archaeological sites have been, you know, in Egypt and, you know, other places in Africa and South America. And geologically, it appears that this ice occurred relatively quickly. So whoever this advanced technological civilization is and whatever it is that they base their civilization upon, the presumption is uh, it is still there it is still intact and if we were to recover it that we could learn a lot and it could benefit all of us now that's that's the official i mean that's you know where i'm coming from uh, officially my sense is that these sites have already been excavated they've already been recovered and they're simply not sharing it because it, it dovetails into what we call disclosure uh disclosure is the ongoing process of revealing our relationship with intelligence that is from beyond this world and for Mm -hmm. some people you know that boils down to ufos in the Mm -hmm. western civilization when we talk to our indigenous ancestors i have to tell you alex every indigenous tradition i have ever been with everyone Mm -hmm. down to a t allow for uh, a deep uh, a sacred and an ancient relationship between us here on earth and a greater cosmic family and it's an ongoing relationship and they allow for it in their culture they don't separate it out as a strange thing it's when i'm in with some of these indigenous groups they'll i mean they'll be talking about the harvest uh you know the grains that they're harvesting and then next sentence they'll say oh yeah and my grandmother was sick we took her down by the water and the the space family came and healed her last night. And and then we were able to, and then it's just like part of a conversation. It's not like some weird, strange, hush-hush kind of thing. So I think Antarctica, uh, it is controversial because in the 1950s, it was militarized. And there was a, a treaty that we would not mm-hmm. militarize it. And there's also a treaty that we would not militarize space and we would not militarize uh, the lunar surface. And, right. you know, I'm sure you've had guests on have talked about uh, how we've, we've breached those treaties in the ways that we have. So what we know is uh, after World War II, 
that there were German bases, there were American bases. China has, has a military base there. And uh, technically, it's for research, so they won't say they're militarized, but there's uh, a lot of military activity you know, that, that's happening there. So when we look at Antarctica, we have to say what what happened there. You know what what would have caused the ice to occur uh, if there was no ice in the past, and what's causing the ice to melt now? None of this is happening in a vacuum, and that's what makes mm -hmm. it so interesting. So I'm going I'm going to approach this from a very high level as a geologist. I recently okay. did a, a presentation on ancient civilizations. And all the speakers were identifying the rise and fall of the civilizations driven by some mysterious energetic force that is uh, very poorly understood. We know the civilizations appeared and they disappeared because we're, we're finding them and we're able to date them. The question is, what was driving that? It appears that uh, at least a portion of what's driving this is coming from underneath our feet. Uh, Alex, it is a, a geophysical process on scales that we don't typically think about. And the bottom line is that there's a relationship between the core of our planet. Our core is made of an inner solid core and an outer molten core. Uh, a relationship between the inner and the outer core, the mantle, which is where the magma comes from, uh, and the crust, which is, is where we live. This is not a static relationship. It's a very dynamic relationship. And about every 13,000 years, there's a shift in the core that uh, creates a turbulence in the mantle. So the liquid uh, molten material in the mantle uh, is, is compressed and it actually seeps into the crust in weak places that we call plate boundaries and where the crust is very thin. And if you're on the earth at that time, what it looks like is an increase in volcanic activity, super volcanoes, earthquakes, and all of that triggers uh, a change in the climate. And that is what we're looking at in Antarctica. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So every 13,000 years, there's a, um, and we can go into more detail. I'm doing this at a high level. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. a, a shift in the, in the core of the earth, the inner core uh, oscillates back and forth and creates ripples in the outer core. That's what makes the magnetic fields of the planet. And those magnetic fields shield us from solar radiation, solar wind, cosmic radiation. We, we know that. And mm -hmm. when these shifts happen in the core, it weakens that magnetic field. Uh, and there are a lot of implications uh, around that. So 13,000 years ago, this is what was happening, creating what we call the Younger Dryas. We were coming out of the Ice Age, and we began warming to come out of the Ice Age, and all of a sudden, there was a tremendous drop in the temperature very, very quickly, and, and then that temperature rose again very quickly, and it's that drop that created the, uh, the ice that we're seeing and, um, you know, Siberia frozen, I mean, mammoths frozen in the middle of, of a mouthful of food, the food's still in their mouths, frozen in the middle of a right. step. These things happen, happen quickly. So there's a, a, a shift in the dynamic of the core of the planet, triggering uh, a, a seepage of the magma in the mantle. They're called mantle plumes that actually move up into the crust uh, at weak places, 
the volcanic activity. And now we know there are super volcanoes that occur about every 12 to 13,000 years. What those volcanoes do is they, they thrust tremendous amounts of sulfur dioxide in a really short period of time into the atmosphere, reflecting the light of the sun, dropping the temperature of the earth. Uh, and that's what creates the cooling, uh, the rapid cooling. That's why it doesn't have, doesn't take, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years for this to happen. It can happen. And some scientists now are saying it happens, you know, within a matter of days that this, this can happen. So it, this is what it looks like triggered the Younger Dryas. Now, there is another theory that it was triggered by a comet. And this is where it gets really interesting. There is a comet that occurred during that time at, at the beginning of the Younger Dryas. We know it was a comet, not an asteroid and not a meteor, because a comet, when it hit the atmosphere, it fragments. An asteroid or a meteor, or meteorite, tends to stay more intact and uh, create... Mm you know, the kind of uh, craters like we see in the Gulf of Mexico or something like that. So from the Arctic Circle all the way down to South Africa, we find fragments of this comet. And we know it's a comet uh, for that reason. Also, the ratios of the minerals that of things that come from extraterrestrial origin from outer space are different than the ratios of the minerals on the Earth. So the, the platinum that we find in these deposits we know is extraterrestrial in origin. It's, it's not Earth-originated uh, Earth platinum. So we know that that comet happened, and it contributed to uh, what we call the Younger Dryas. However, it is that appears to be a one-time event. The cyclic nature of what's happening in the core is just that. It's the cyclic nature. You go back Another twelve to thirteen thousand years, you see another supervolcano about twenty-five thousand years ago, and the same thing. You see the, the same thing with with the temperatures. And then you go back another twelve to thirteen thousand years. You can do this all the way back to seventy-two thousand years BP before present. So there is a, a a dynamic process under our feet. Uh, it is a natural rhythm that has triggered the rise and fall of civilizations. And the reason this is so interesting from a perspective of ancient civilizations, is that it appears we have had many advanced civilizations in the past that succumb to the forces of this cyclic process. And if we know where and how to look, because the sea levels rise and our earth uh, sediment overlays these things, if we know where to look under the sea level, and if we know where to look with earth penetrating radar and this is exactly what's happening we're beginning to see these interestingly uh the civilizations that are happening during these times uh, tend to go underground and this may explain why gobekli tepe was buried all of a sudden or some of the uh, uh subterranean communities that we're finding now in in the middle in east turkey. in turkey yeah in and places turkey. like that yeah. I mean, those are, and by the way, just to stop you a second, when you say underground dwellings, people are thinking, oh, it's a slight bunker or something like that. Oh. The the I forgot the name of it, the but the area in Turkey, it it holds twenty to thirty thousand people and 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 food and animals and, and water and, and, and air and every everything with, with ventilations. Yeah, multi-story ventilation, all of that. So they. Why would they go through the, put the energy into building those places underground unless they, there was a need for that? I don't think they would do it 
just as you know a, but they a wouldn't hobby. do it but they wouldn't and they also wouldn't do it if it was just a comet because well, here, a comet happens quickly here here's right? yeah quickly. here's here's the thing it suggests that they were aware at least some of these civilizations were aware of the thirteen thousand year cycle and they weren't waiting around uh for it to happen to begin to prepare for it now i just want to just say this right off the bat uh, as a geologist, where are we right now? This is the value of looking at the past. Where are we in in those cycles? They occur every 12 to 13,000 years. The last one was 13,000 years ago. Uh, we are seeing the precursors of the same things that we're seeing that we've seen in the past. We're seeing the oceans warm, uh, releasing uh, gases in, into the atmosphere. We're seeing a, um, an, an uptick in magnitude six and greater volcanoes. We're seeing those things. Here's where my optimism is. I think for the first time, we have the knowledge, we have the wisdom, we have the technology to recognize what's happened in the past. Uh, and if we have the wisdom to embrace what that information is saying to us, that, that we can survive and thrive, not just survive, but thrive, this gives us an evolutionary edge that our ancestors may not have had if they didn't have just the right combination of the knowledge and the wisdom, the indigenous wisdom of the cycles, the cosmology and the technology. And we do have the technology, uh, Alex. I mean, we could do things simply burying and hardening our power grids would uh, leave, uh, uh, relieve a lot, a lot of the suffering from any of the extremes, the climate extremes that mm -hmm. we're seeing because they are so vulnerable. So when mm -hmm. we when we have high winds, when we have ice on the power lines and mm -hmm. uh, in the New England states every winter, when oh, we te oh te Texas, are you kidding? I live in Texas. Well, okay, and, and that, or even they froze exactly, they froze, exactly, yeah. or volcanic activity, things like that. It doesn't stop what's happening, but it helps us to to be better prepared if we have heat and light and cooling and we can, you know, cool our food and we have our, our medical supplies and everything. Uh, we don't have the same impact as when people are just cut off from civilization and lose everything. I mean, that's just one simple thing. If we recognize the beginnings of a super volcano, and this is what was happening uh, during the Younger Dryas. This was a super volcano. It's called the Phlegrian Fields Volcano. Uh, it is in Italy. And there are 24 separate craters that are recognized right now inside the caldera. And it's not the first time that it has erupted. Uh, and there are other super volcanoes as well. We have the technology to outgas some of those to relieve that gas So uh, and, and the magma. So it doesn't cause the damage. I don't think you can stop a volcano, but you can certainly, uh, I think, modify how it's going to to impact the world and impact life. We did, we need common sense. We need to stop building on floodplains. Stop building 30, <laughs> 30 story buildings ten feet from the edge of the ocean, assuming the ocean is is static. That the ocean levels are never going to change. We need more than anything. We need localized living, community, and localized living not the centralized living that we're being pushed into through the policies that are, are now being proposed. Localized living means localized sources of food, localized mm -hmm. sources of water, localized finance, localized income, uh, and localized energy. So you don't have massive supply, supply chains that are so fragile and so vulnerable to vulnerable. disruption. 
it doesn't stop what's happening necessarily, but when we live locally, as our ancestors did. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Uh, it gives us the ability to take care of ourselves. And the stronger we are as families and communities, then we are strong to help those that may need that help uh, and that may not have been as fortunate as we are. If, if we're centralized and those supply chains break or the centralized source of our drinking water becomes contaminated mm-hmm. or centralized power system uh, you know, is compromised for whatever yes. reason, you know, where does that leave us? So, so I'm just saying, I'm saying this because I don't want people to be afraid of a natural rhythm and a natural cycle, but I think we owe it to ourselves to embrace the truth, the deep truth that we live in a, a dynamic world of cycles, not a static world where everything is as it is. And, and, it will always be as it is right now that it just doesn't make sense to to even think about that so greg let me ask you with all this talk about the cycles the younger dryas ancient civilizations that were very advanced that might have come down gone and come come and gone these cycles sure. what does that in your opinion what is it how do you connect spirituality and our evolution sure. as spiritual beings through all of this you know, you know, I always call, you know, I, I'm not the first to call this a game, uh, you know, a kind of simulation, a video game in a sense. And the the play, the, the, the field keeps getting changed and it's getting more and yeah, more changed yeah. recently as uh, Mario is trying to save the princess. So where do you think we all, where does this all lead to as far as our spiritual evolution? The definition of spirituality is probably a little bit different than what most people accept as spirituality. The definition of of spirituality, it's all about relationships. It's about our relationship to ourselves, our relationship to other people, our relationship to the earth, our relationship to the past, to the future, our relationship to God. Uh, All of these uh, come into play when we are faced as individuals and as a family, as communities, as societies, nations, as a planet, when we're faced with tremendous amounts of change. Uh, it pushes us to the very edge of who we believe we are, Alex, and we have to reach deep inside and discover what it is that's true for us and what's real for us. It it forces us to identify the values that we cherish so that we can allow those values to serve us and support us uh, in resilience. Spirituality is deeply linked to human resilience. And when we talk about resilience, I mean, we're opening up the door to a lot of conversations here. Mm-hmm. Resilience, when I was a kid back in the 1950s in, in rural Missouri, resilience mm-hmm. meant if you're having a bad day, suck it up and get over it. That was your resilience. Obviously. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Probably identify with that. Now, now there's a new definition. It's called adaptive resilience uh, that is being pioneered out of the Stockholm Resilience Institute. And they identify domains of resilience. So there is a physiological domain. Obviously, our bodies have to be fit uh, so that we can bear the brunt of of whatever stress is is coming to us. And uh, that's always true, but it's it's true now more than ever, Alex. I mean, I think one of the, the, the greatest gifts we can give to ourselves is be the best version of ourselves 
get fit, get healthy, stop doing the things that destroy life in our bodies and destroy our, our, our children's bodies Just stop doing those things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, that's a whole podcast unto itself. We can talk about mm-hmm. specific principles. That's only one aspect of resilience. That's physiological. Then there's mental resilience. There's emotional resilience. There is psychological resilience and there is spiritual resilience. And all of those domains uh, are necessary for us to thrive in the time of extremes. And the spiritual aspect of that tells us that we are more. We are more than the greatest challenge that we will ever face. And that we are made for times just like this. We are literally wired to thrive in times of extremes. And this is what's so unique about the human body. Our young people aren't being taught that. They're being taught that we are a, a, a flawed species, that human humanness is a flaw in and of itself, and that we need something outside of us to protect us and to help us. And that something uh, is, is technology. So young people think they, they've got to have computer chips you know, in their brain, or they've got to have sensors under their skin or chemicals in their blood to, to compete. And this is, this is the thinking now, I think, that really limits us when it comes to where we are right now. So when we talk about resilience and spirituality, there's a direct link between spirituality, resilience, uh, all the domains of resilience, and where we are in the world today. Because again, we're not, this conversation isn't happening in a vacuum. We're living a time of extremes, doesn't mean mm-hmm. only bad things are happening or even good things for that matter, but it does mean big things. Big things are happening that we've never seen in this generation. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we have everything that we need to thrive through those big things successfully if we look to ourselves and awaken the deep truth of the potential within each of us, if we buy into the lie that we are powerless victims of a world that we have no control over, then we become vulnerable. We become frightened and, uh, and we give our power away. We become vulnerable to other people's ideas of, and their agendas of what the world should look like and what our lives should look like. So all these things are in the mix right now. And this is why I think it's important. We can learn from the younger Darius and then you go back 13,000 years and the same thing happened before another 12,000 years, same thing happened before we are not divorced from the rhythms of the past and we are not separate from the cycles of change. We tend to think that, oh yeah, all that was way back then and we're modern people now and none of that has anything really to, to do with us. When, <laughs> when and Now, and as a geologist, this is where I, I maybe have a little bit of an advantage because geologists, earth scientists are conditioned to think in, in terms of big cycles of time. Whereas, uh, you know, maybe social scientists and, and uh, you know, other, other sciences look in a little bit more limited uh, periods of time. I'm also a systems thinker. I like to look at the big picture to see what's driving the processes in my life and society, politics, religion, and and then from that big picture, zero in on the nano moment of our lives to see what our options or what our choices are. So, so all these, you can't separate them. They're all part of the big picture. And by understanding 
what happened in the past and recognizing the, the, the dynamic forces that have driven this change in the past, number one, and, and there's a lot of pushback on this. Not all scientists are on board with, with what I'm saying to you. Although the evidence, this is peer-reviewed science, the evidence is out there. The evidence, uh, there's tech papers just showed uh, in March of this year that the oscillations in the core of our planet have slowed and possibly stopped. And it doesn't mean we're going to have a pole reversal, but it means there's a shift that's going on. Tech journals are showing that the glaciers in Greenland are warming from underneath, that the, the mantle is warming the ocean. It's not coming from the atmosphere down. This is peer-reviewed science. And, uh, and so as we embrace that, number one, then number two, we say, okay, you know, that stuff's happening. Okay, that just happened. That just happened in the Younger Dries. Where are we today in the cycles? And how can we work together as a community, as a global community? Do we mm -hmm. love ourselves enough? to embrace the truth and be honest with ourselves about what our history shows so that we can thrive in this rare and precious and exceptional moment in history. So I think that's, that kind of brings it all together. Absolutely. That's very, very well said, Greg. You know, what's interesting is when you said extremes in this generation, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, younger than you. So I didn't, I didn't hang out in the fifties, but I hung out in the seventies and eighties. And uh, the time from when I was a child to where we are now, the amount of extreme change, extreme change from 19, and, and to, be, to be fair, from the 1900s to the 1950s, there was an extreme change, but it's not as massive of an individual change. Cause like, yes, technology was going, but the amount of information we have is extreme. Uh, what's happening right now, weather-wise, is extreme. What's happening politically is extreme. What's happening with money and governments is extreme. There's so much shifting going on sure. that to become resilient to that is very, very important. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Yeah, well, it, it is, you know, and, and it's not just our imagination. I mean, I, I was <laughs> talking about, I was a geologist for a company at that time. It was called Phillips Petroleum back in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. During, mm -hmm. I was a problem solver during the first energy crisis when oil, oil from the Middle East was cut off and uh, America was rationing 10 gallons of gasoline per week is what we were allotted. Uh, and I'll tell you what, the muscle cars that we had, during that time, <laughs> not so I had a, much. I had a 1969 Pontiac GTO with a 400 cubic inch <laughs> engine and oh, 10, beautiful. 10, it was a beautiful machine, but 10 gallons of gasoline wasn't going to last about me a, a week. Get you about a mile. Yeah, about a mile. Well, get yeah, you. well it, because I was driving back and forth to school, I had a job in a, a <laughs> copper mill in a factory, you know, and it, it wasn't going to do it. Yeah, yeah. So I was a problem solver during that time. And, and we knew, I mean, the scientists knew at that time that we were in climate change and they raised the flag. But the thing is, nobody was listening. The scientists didn't have a platform like you and I do today. Mm -hmm. So it was published in the tech journals. It was no secret. And the unfortunate thing is that the, the true pieces of the information have been incorporated into false assumptions and projections and then hijacked 
uh, and politicized to incite uh, our our nation and and other nations into making choices uh, that benefit a handful of people and really cause a lot of suffering for a lot of other people. And, you know, my, my whole question is how can we solve the problems if we're not honest about the problems? And mm. we, we are in it, we are in this change. So, so what I, I was saying was during that time, we knew that we were at living a convergence of cycles, a rare convergence. Climate is only one of those cycles. We're living a convergence of economic cycles and the economists that are watching this, they know Kondratiev uh, uh, cycles. They know exactly what those Kondratiev cycles are and the rhythms of those cycles. We're also living uh, the convergence of a cycle of human conflict. And this is fascinating. When I spoke at the UN, they were not aware of this cycle. They said, doesn't conflict just happen spontaneously? And, and certainly it can. But if you look at, at human conflict, it follows a precise sinus rhythm and the peaks and the, the troughs of those waves are where the great wars of our past have started. It's where they've ended and they coincide with magnetic cycles from our sun, which influence magnetic fields of the earth, which mag influence magnetic fields of the human heart and the human brain. And here's what that means. Bottom line, the stronger the magnetic fields, the more peaceful we are, the more we're willing to cooperate to solve our problems. The weaker the fields, the more aggressive we are, the less cooperative we are. And we happen to be uh, just coming off of the trough of, of one of the weakest magnetic cycles. So it doesn't mean we must have conflict. It means we are vulnerable, we are susceptible. But listen to this, Alex, it's also the greatest opportunity for peace. Because when we are in these these very delicate places on the cycles, if we recognize where we are, if we say, yeah, you know, we're at this vulnerable place in the cycle, let's become really good listeners. Let's listen to other people's ideas and let's offer the olive branch of a benefit of a doubt when that happens. And this isn't just between nations. This is between people. This is happening under the roof of every household, of every family, everywhere in the world. It's also happening within ourselves, our own inner conflict. All of this is linked sociologically. It's all linked to these, these fields. So the point is that all of these are converging. Conflict, economy, climate, they're all converging right now. Uh, and that is why this is a time of extremes. It's a rare and precious moment in the history of our civilization when there's an openness for new ideas. This is when innovation is so powerful. One person can have an idea and the openness to accept that idea can, can change a planet. Now, I, I just mm -hmm. want to say that I, I'm going to talk to our young, may I look in the camera and talk to our young people directly? Please. I have, yes. I have spoken with so many young people recently who tell me they do not want to bring children into the world because of the way the world is right now. Mm -hmm. I um, I sat next to an Air Force cadet on, on a flight and had this conversation. And he said he and his wife would never bring children into the world. And he told me why. And I said, you know, I understand that. I hear what you're saying. I said, but there, have you ever thought about this? And I said, what I just said to you just now, I said, we're living this rare moment of extremes. I said, this is a time when one life could have the insights and the innovation to turn everything around. 
and to, to bring beauty and peace and prosperity into this world. I said, why would you deny a soul the opportunity of coming into this world right now? The plane landed. I saw him in baggage briefly, and he was dashing off. I said, man, where are you going? He said, are you kidding? He said, after that conversation, I'm going to go home and make a baby. You know, and, and, and so I, I want to say I want to say this to young people. This isn't the end of the world. It's the end of a way of living. We have stretched a way of living uh, to the point of unsustainability. It's like a big rubber band. Something's got to give. And when it gives, it's the beginning of what comes next. And that's why we need you. And we need those babies. We need new ideas and innovation. And now more than any time, there's a receptivity to that because we have the technology through the internet and through all the ways that we communicate to share the ideas. We didn't, the scientists of the seventies didn't have those outlets to share their ideas. They were limited to, in America, it was three major television stations. It was, was it ABC, CBS and, uh, and NBC. 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 Yeah. If you didn't see it there, it didn't happen. And now, so fortunately, that's no longer the case. So I know it can look dark to some people because of the algorithms and what the, the information they bring to us. But there's so much good news, so many new innovations, so much new technology. And to, to live a single lifetime, Alex, where we bridge that world of the past that works so well it got us to where we have to say it worked. We're here. It got us here to, to bless that and let it go because it no longer fits. And then to embrace the new world that's emerging. And the beauty is that new world's not here yet. So we're creating it. We're choosing it. And that's why we need, we need young people. We need young minds and young hearts to, to influence those, those templates for whatever that new world is going to be. So let's all go make babies. By the way, we don't have too many people on the planet. What the, the new studies are showing, UN statistics are showing mm -hmm. that we are at a, at a crisis point of infertility. Birth rates have fallen off the cliff. And uh, we're now, we need 2.1 babies per woman just to maintain the population level we have now. And we've dropped below that 2.1. We're going to peak out in 2050 at about uh, 10 billion people. And then after that, if something doesn't change, we're in a steep, steep decline. So it's not that far away. Not that far away. Greg, as always, we could talk for at least another six hours. Uh, but I appreciate you uh, so much coming on the show again. And this has been a fascinating conversation, as it always is. Uh, where can people find out more about you and the amazing work you're doing in the world, sir? Sure. Thank you, Alex. Well, my uh, my website, www.gregbraden.com, G-R-E-G-G-B-R-A-D-E-N.com. That two Gs means that I am a Greg and not a Gregory. One G is short for Gregory, and my mom's wanted me to be a Greg. So so gregbraden.com and um, everything you need to know about where I'm going to be and what I'm going to be doing is right there at that one-stop shop. And Greg, do you have any parting messages for the audience about this, this, all this, all this amazing conversation that we've talked about? Uh, you know, Alex, and to our, our community, our global community, and I consider you community, I consider you my family. These are big conversations. They're big ideas. I think it's important to talk about them. And I also think it's important to bear in mind, ultimately, it all comes down to us. We are learning about ourselves in the presence of new technologies and new ways of thinking. 
And it's inviting all of us to come to terms with the deep truth of who we are and what it means to be human in this world, and perhaps for the very first time, to explore the deepest potentials of that humanness. So I, I think it's important just to, to bear that in mind, Alex, as a context uh, to keep everything kind of in, in perspective, because some of these topics, it's so easy to go down the rabbit hole and, and just you know, get lost in, in so much of, of what's happening here. It's, it really comes down to us. My friend, my brother, I appreciate you and being and the work you're doing and the champion that you are to get these these ideas out there in the world. So I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you again. Thank you. I want to thank Greg so much for coming on the show and sharing all of his knowledge with us. Thank you so much, Greg. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash three two nine. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.